Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Friday, February 9th, and I'm Kristen Baird Adams, President of the City Club Board of Directors. It's my pleasure to introduce today's forum, part of the City Club's Health Innovation Series, featuring a conversation with Metro Health's Dr. Erica Steed, the first woman, the first black person, and the first nurse to serve as the chief executive officer and president <laughs> in Metro Health's history. A Chicago native and fourth generation nurse trained in critical and emergency care, Dr. Steed, who joined Metro Health in late 2022, previously served as Executive Vice President and System Chief Operating Officer of Sinai Chicago Health System and as President of Mount Sinai in Sinai Children's Hospital. Much like Metro Health, Mount Sinai Chicago is an urban academic healthcare system focused on health equity and eradicating healthcare disparities. Dr. Steed's experience there and gained through other health system leadership roles certainly made her a strong candidate to lead Metro but it was her deep-rooted passion and dedication for serving the most vulnerable and underserved that made her the ideal fit. Now at Metro Health, Dr. Steed oversees Cuyahoga County's Safety Net Health System, which encompasses five hospitals, including the new Glick Center, a renowned level one adult trauma center, more than 600 doctors, 1,700 nurses, and 9,000 employees and beyond a system that aspires to become as good at preventing disease as it is treating it. Dr. Steed is a vastly accomplished and award-winning transformational healthcare executive with more than 20 years of leadership experience and a proven track record. Throughout her trailblazing career, Dr. Steed has made it her mission to ensure that every person has equal to good healthcare, a passion fueled by personal loss that she has so courageously shared publicly. In her new role, she aims to position Metro Health as a national model in health equity and as an innovator in care delivery and the community's hospital. Today, we will hear from Dr. Steed about her goals and unique perspectives in her new role at one of Cleveland's top health institutions. Moderating the conversation is another trailblazing woman, Danita Harris, a nine-time Emmy Award-winning news anchor. <laughs> Prior to her, prior to her departure from WEWS Channel 5, where she spent nearly 25 years, Danita served as a co-anchor of the evening and the late night newscasts, and most recently, of course, as co-anchor of Good Morning Cleveland. If you have questions for our speaker, you may text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794, and the City Club staff will do its best to work them into the second half of the program. Members, friends, and guests of the City Club of Cleveland, please join us in welcoming Dr. Alicia Steed, Erica Steed and Danita Harris.
we thank you. We thank you for those warm introductions. But can I say good afternoon? <laughs> so good to see all of you here today. And what I want you to know is, yes, get your questions, get your comments ready, because she is a phenomenal woman. And I know you have things you want to know. But this is going to be a conversation between me and my friend, Dr. Erica Steed, who is doing so many great things. You know, Dr. Steed, we heard all of your accomplishments and the bios tell us all your great things, but I'm curious, how would you describe Dr. Erica Steed? In inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> um, I would say I'm courageous, I'm fierce, I'm relentless, I'm unapologetically me. I'm unapologetically focused and determined to erase the tragic memories that, that I live through every single day. And I, I don't want any one of you to have to live through that pain. I've learned that I'm resilient. I've learned that I'm a survivor more times over more times over. Every morning when I wake up, I wake up a survivor. I learned that I'm an eagle because an eagle flies directly into a storm. It doesn't fly away from it. And it uses the turbulence of that storm to fly higher into uncharted territory. So I describe myself as an eagle. But more importantly, I'm blessed. Mm. Yes, yes. And let's, let's go on that eagle mentality of flying into a storm because we all know, and as a journalist, I know that there was a scandal brewing around Metro Health uh, with the previous leadership CEO, and that was a storm brewing. And yet you chose, as you said, you flew into that scandal. Tell me why. Why choose Cleveland? And uh, what made your eagle senses say, I'm ready to tackle that storm? Yeah. I think that I can unpack this in a couple different ways. But um, piggybacking off of what I said in terms of blessed, um, I'm here on assignment. Um, I was not going to refuse to run into the storm. I was not going to refuse it. Um, even more so, that drew me closer to this opportunity. Um, and I really don't call this a job. I, when I wake up every morning, I don't consider myself at work. I, I truly consider myself at home, and I so, consider myself called to do this work. Um, unfortunately for me, um, and I always call myself a leader by accident, um, but I was destined to do this work, uh, is, what I, is what I realized. Um, I, I hardly characterize it as, as a challenge or controversy. Uh, scandal, I think, is too nice. Um, it, was, it was very dark. It was very dark. Um, it, was, it was very broken when I walked in, in, into this situation and opportunity. Um, but I remained with my head held high, uh, and I remained fueled by every single person in this room and more. Uh, 
I was really, I was supercharged. I was more motivated uh, to run into this circumstance. And I can honestly tell you, uh, through it all, um, I certainly was battle tested. I certainly was pressure tested. Every, every single moment of every single day, I feel like I'm being pressure tested. But at the end of the day, I'm still standing. And, and Metro Health is still standing. And what I realized is not only am I a survivor, but we are survivors. And we are resilient. And we are not going to let a storm take us down. We are purpose-driven and mission-driven. And we, we are unapologetically bold in, in our fight for health equity. So that is what, what keeps me up every night, and that is what gets me up every morning. But I can honestly tell you unequivocally that that is what has inspired me to make it through every single moment. You know, Dr. C, one of the things I noticed when you first arrived, uh, I don't think I've said as much, Dr. Erica Steed is at this church. <laughs> Dr. Erica Steed is at this community luncheon. Dr. Erica Steed was at such and such. You came to Cleveland, you came here, and you jumped right into the community mm -hmm. to listen, which I think is an important and effective tool for any successful leader. Why was it so important for you to jump in like that and listen and tell us what did you hear? Um, so first of all, why am I not being invited to the party is, is the first question I was asking. <laughs> so I, I was so curious, I'm intellectually curious, but I'm just curious in general. I'm like, okay, I'm hearing all about the hype here and there, so I wanted to be at the party too. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, really and truthfully, um, I think that listening is the most important leadership skill that anyone can have. And it takes a lot of courage, number one. It takes a lot of uh, uh, muscle. You have to build leadership muscle along the way to actually be an effective listener. Um, but one of the things I, I, I felt immediately is I wanted to wrap my arms around this community that I felt was in suffering. And, and I, I don't just consider the outdoors and outside the four walls of Metro Health to be the community. I consider Metro Health to be the community as well. Um, so I was, I was so passionate about stepping right in and actually checking my title at the door as well. Because when you're listening, Titles don't matter, right? So I really wanted to uh, hear the voice of what people have to say. And oftentimes, I'm, I'm playing over and over and over tragic tapes in my mind of what I felt like when I was on the other side of certain situations, whether it be being the patient or being the family member of a patient, uh, being that community member. Being that employee, I always felt voiceless, and I always felt like I was muted. And I always felt like there were, were not enough seats around the table. And I, I always felt like the community and the people that need to be at the table are not invited in to those conversations. So I heard that loud and clear. So a, a lot of what I learned uh, through those discoveries was validation and uh, a hunger, a thirst that I wanted to relieve. 
Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's time for us all to roll up our sleeves and get to work if, if we're going to really battle the challenges that we're all up against. But I use that, and uh, I, I certainly would say uh, that that was not just a part of my entry experience or onboarding. I use that in everything that I do. I'm, I'm very intently listening and observing and evaluating and understanding how I can make meaningful change happen uh, to those that we serve. So that, that's why I really wanted to be at the table, and I wanted to be at the party, too. <laughs> but I learned, I learned a lot, and I continue to learn, and I continue to, to uh, keep myself humble in, in those learnings. Um, there, there's not one thing that is, is, a, is a bad expression of, of your reality, because I've lived it. And more importantly, uh, in, in some of my early interviews, uh, I was often asked, why are you always out in the community? And I said, why not? I am the community. I am the community. So. One thing I was sharing with Dr. Steed, you know, because one of the reasons I'm a journalist is because I'm nosy. <laughs> and uh, I ask a lot of questions. I ask about people. And I told her, I said, when I say your name, I'm going to talk to you. The one thing I hear back about you, she's real. She's real. I could talk to her. I could approach her. You said drop your title at the door. A lot of times people see that title as a barrier between them communicating what the need is. You've had a way of coming in, being invited to the party or not, and saying, here I am. How can Metro help you? Mm -hmm. You know, And that's what you've done. So here we are a year into it. Tell us a little bit about the challenges that you've had this year and also some of the challenges that you have overcome with Metro. Oh, boy. How much time do we have? <laughs> Again, it, it was a lot of validation in terms of uh, the way we go about progress. Um, we have to be the change that we want to see, right? Um, so a lot of what I listened to and heard loud and clear is we have too many muted voices out there. We have too many individuals that need, to, need help finding their voice. And oftentimes, we have a, a lot of individuals out there that are not courageous enough to use that voice, because that voice has been unheard for so long, it's been in a, in a, in a black hole. Um, so a lot of my first year has been breaking through uh, culture. And uh, one of the, the, my first realities that I wanted to bring to the table uh, is creating this, this idea, this concept, of creating a people-first culture. And I'm not just talking about at Metro Health. Um, I'm talking about wherever we go. And people first, people is our patients that we serve. People first is our caregivers and our providers who are dedicating themselves every single day to really stand up for and promote and, and deliver our mission. But also our people first is our community. Because quite frankly, you don't have a mission without community. So people first culture for me is, is, the, is the baseline. It, it is the foundation for everything. So that, that culture change is, is, is very tough. It doesn't happen by snapping your fingers. It, it really doesn't. Um, it, ha it, it really takes time. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. It takes sometimes painful moments in order to really break through and create that people-first culture. 
So that's one of the things I've been heavily, heavily, heavily centering on. And I can honestly say that it is not a start and a stop. It, it, it is not a project that I'm going after when I'm creating that people-first culture. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm thinking about all of those tragic experiences and those bad memories, and I'm trying to recreate and re-architect an optimal experience. So I'm trying to live, live through those moments and really creating that people-first culture. What else I really had to navigate through is um, really the understanding that, yes, is, it is bold and it, it is hard-charging to really want to solve for eradicating health disparities and zeroing out the death gap. But one of the things that really drew me to this community, and I was absolutely outraged, and I was let down once again by what I consider to be a very broken American healthcare system. I'm, I'm very critical of the American healthcare system. But when I, when I actually researched this community, Cleveland, um, and what, what landed on my desk was Cleveland was ranked the least livable place in the United States for black women. I was outraged. I was angered by it. I was literally screamed to the top of my lungs, saying, why, in this day and age, with the, our sophistication, we have the, the best technology, the best resources in the world, why? Why on earth would Cleveland be the least livable place in, in, the, in the United States for black women? So as I read further, I, I recognized what, what rose to the top of that list was health outcomes for black women were the worst in the country. Oftentimes, matched or, or even worse than some third world countries. And then as I read even further, I, I saw it on the page. Concerns dismissed. Concerns dismissed. Black women are not seen in this community. So I was so motivated, and, and quite frankly, there was nothing that was going to stop me from coming to change that narrative. Until we're number one, that's when I'm leaving Cleveland. I would be remiss not to acknowledge that February is Black History Month. Dr. Steed, you are Cleveland Black History. <laughs> you are Cleveland Black History. You are the first woman, the first black person, the first nurse to be appointed as CEO and President of Metro Health. Tell me, though, a little bit about what that means to you in this first role. And there are not many women like you. <laughs> um, Honestly, I'm, I'm extremely proud. I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very humbled. Um, and anyone who knows about me, I, I, I run from the spotlight. I, I, I can't stand it, actually. I have to force myself to be in it. Um, but quite honestly, um, uh, in almost 200 years of existence, it took us too long to get right. here. And what I, what I can tell you I feel while I want to enjoy all of, all of those accolades, I, I certainly do. I really want to enjoy it. Um, but I have to say, I've, I've been haunted in, in, my, in my being able to really experience that fully. So I have not been able to really, really uh, drink my own Kool-Aid mm. in that. Yeah. Um, but I have a responsibility, and I have a heavy, 
heavy weight of responsibility on my shoulders to make for certain, for certain, that I'm not the last, right? And um, thank you. Um, I have a responsibility to really lean down, lean down, and allow others to climb on my shoulders. And I can honestly tell you, I, f I feel myself above the air. I'm, I'm already on, on top of my ancestors' shoulders. I'm already on top of any person who has opened the door for me. I'm already on their shoulders. I have a responsibility, and every single person in this room has a responsibility to lift people as you climb. So you're not really supposed to enjoy it. We all have a responsibility on doing that. And I can honestly tell you that my road was nowhere near straight. It was not a straight line at all. It was not a straight line. It was, it was crooked. It was full of rocks. It was full of boulders. It was full of headwinds like you wouldn't believe. Uh, it was full of resistance. It was full of adversity. And what I've learned through it all is adversity and overcoming adversity and learning how to embrace adversity is your best superpower. It is absolutely a superpower. And for me, I, I, I claim it. I claim it like a badge of honor, and I wear it like a badge of honor. So for me, um, it's all of our responsibility to plant those seeds and let it blossom in someone else. So I'm not going to celebrate my legacy. I'm going to celebrate everyone else's. Wow. And you know, speaking of planting the seed, there are some great things that you're doing at Metro. One of them is our young people. Mm. Uh, planting the mm. seed, giving them hope yes. uh, uh, to have careers. And Lincoln West yes. High School. Where Woo! is Lincoln West? Wave your hand in the air. Wave it like you can. They Come need on, to stand. Actually, they need to stand up. Stand up, stand up, they need Lincoln to stand, West. We stand need up, to stand Lincoln up. West. Stand up. Dr. Steve, tell us why they are so special. Honestly, so this is what I'm talking about. This is the future. Yeah. These young people, this is our future. This is the heartbeat of where we're going to go. And quite honestly, uh, I'm so inspired. And, and let me just brag for a moment. Um, I was on stage with, with four of, of these students yesterday. And honestly, I got a lesson in health equity yesterday by these students. I was, I, I was so inspired. I was so motivated. And quite honestly, I, I could not leave that stage with a, with a dry eye just because I was, this is what it's all about. Uh, we have to start further and further and further upstream. We have to plant those seeds and water those seeds and allow them to blossom, allow them to flourish. That is the only way we can lift the health and the wealth of our communities. And I've, I've learned a long time ago that health equity, and, and I'm, I learned yesterday through validation by really talking to these, these young people, that in order to crack the nut on health equity, we have to get outside of our own walls and barriers. And it does not occur in the hospital. More than 80% of the solution to health equity is outside, is outside in the community. And in fact, the two, the two vital signs, and this is why I'm always talking about 
treat the community as the patient. Treat the community as the patient and diagnose that patient, right? So the two vital signs to solving for health equity is poverty and economic disadvantage in education. These students are our future. These students are our future. We have to start earlier. We have to start earlier. Prenatal is when we need to start with blossoming into our future. So can we eradicate healthcare disparities? Can we zero out the death gap? Can we lift the health and the wealth of our communities? Absolutely we can, but it starts with them. And it starts even earlier than that. So I was even inspired, and, and there's a, I've, I've learned that I'm a, a bit of a famous person with this, this billboard uh, that you may <laughs> drive by. So I had a little three-year-old, a three-year-old with a, with a stethoscope. And I was just blown away and, and, and uh, just captivated by this young girl. And I know her future is in medicine, or her future is in healing these communities. So we need to start there and start planting those seeds and let's start adopting these communities and start adopting these children that are gonna be our destiny. And I want you to know that Lincoln West is in Metro, is the only hospital in the country that has high school right there in the hospital and they're providing opportunities yes. for them once yes. they graduate. That is something that we should be proud of. Yes, yes, yes. I want to yes. brag a little bit more. Okay, so you know, we're, we're getting, I know you got your questions and comments because getting close, getting close. Okay, now let's brag a little bit more about the expos that Metro had to yeah. target men's health and women's health. Yes, yes. So we, we actually have a bit of a historian in, in, in the room uh, 20 years ago, Dr. Charles Modlin, um, he was the godfather of these health expos. Um, so he actually saw a need uh, for ailing minority men that were dying left and right uh, from healthcare disparities. So he, he blossomed that into a, a passion and a, and a purpose for giving the community prevention, wellness, screening, and really blanketing the communities at large. Uh, so when I came in, and, and I was really on my high horse, and I was ex really excited as I was learning all about the health expos. Um, but he kept on saying, men, 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 men. And I said, hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where do you men come from exactly? <laughs> so he kept on bragging. I, I don't think Dr. Model was getting my point. Um, but I said, you know what? We are going to hold the first, the first of its kind, Women's Expo this year. And they looked at me like I was crazy because he came up with this concept 20 years ago. And I said, okay, not only that, we're going to hold it in three months. Yep. <laughs> and they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, yes, I'm fierce. I'm bold. I'm unapologetic. So we're going to make this happen. And we're going to do something for our children, too. We're not going to leave anyone out. Um, so that was the, the inspiration for really holding the first of its kind, commitment to women, children, and men. So we're all about, let's, let's go upstream. Let's focus on prevention. 
Let's meet our community where you are, where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. Let's offer everything on a pedestal. This is a one-stop shop experience. And it just doesn't just end in one day. This is supposed to motivate encouragement. And, and really, it, it is hiding that pill in the applesauce. It gets you excited about taking advantage of your own health. And I hide those pills very well. <laughs> um, so we were, uh, we were striving for our first year, touching about 1,500 women uh, at, the, at the Women's Expo. Uh, but we doubled that in the, in the first year. Yes. So this is... So it, it was the first and largest event of its kind in, in Cleveland history, in Northeast Ohio history. And I can honestly tell you we're going to make even bigger history this year. Uh, we, ha we have some major things planned as it relates to this. But I, I can honestly tell you about these expos. We're not, we're not just trying to create a, a bunch of buzz and a bunch of hype. We are truly saving lives at these expos. And I think that there's someone in the audience that we saved. Um, it is, is just a reflection that this works. If, if, if we really connect with our community and listen to our community and make meaningful change happen in our community, we can make the impossible possible. So do, do we have someone in the audience that wants to stand up and be recognized? Homero. He truly testifies that if it were not for the Minority Men's Health Fair, he would not be standing here today. piggyback off of that changing lives metro health has this institute for hope have you heard of it has anyone heard of it institute for hope i never heard of it okay i'm with those of you that never heard of it and went on your website saw the institute for hope squared which it is now which you just told me and i interviewed a man and they the institute for hope they're looking at the social drivers that determine your health that affect your health okay whether or not you have housing you know psychologically okay and I interviewed a man named Travis yes. at the Institute for Hope. And Travis was an alcoholic. And he went to the Institute for Hope and they helped him get an apartment. Then he said, I want to learn computer skills. I, I've always wanted to learn. They helped him get a laptop. And then he went to computer class and he said something that I'll never forget. He said that the Institute for Hope Squared gave him next level living. Mm. Mm -hmm. Next level living. Tell me, Dr. Steve. Is that what you want as a whole, Metro Health, physically, spiritually, yes. Yes. Uh, emotionally? Metro Health will give you next level living. Yes. What yes. do you want it to be known for? Honestly, I think that that, that really sums it up. Um, we want to inspire. We want to save lives. We truly want to be the national and global. Actually, let's go global. Let's go global. Yeah, let's go global. We want to be global for lifting up the health and the wealth of our communities. And, and the reason why we called um, Institute for Hope Square, uh, so Institute for Hope stands for Health, Opportunity, Partnership, and Empowerment. But we were missing something. We wanted to center everything around equity, right? We want to actually deliver 
on our goal of zeroing out the death gap and improving the life expectancy of our communities. So now we put empowerment and equity at the end to make it Institute for Hope Square. Uh, but at the end of the day, that, that is the mission that we're really on. That's what we want to be known for. And we want to be known for really stepping outside of ourselves. And true partnerships need to really come together. We cannot solve this uh, very necessary problem alone. We cannot solve it alone. So we need every single person in this room and more uh, to really roll up their sleeves right along with us. And we are welcoming the community in. We're welcoming parties to the, uh, to the table and our neighbors and our just anyone who wants to have a voice in this, they have a voice in this. Um, so we have a lot of work to do. Our, our, our goals are, are extremely ambitious. Our goals are extremely lofty. Uh, but I refuse to accept reduce as our goal. I refuse to accept it because if, if I was going to be accepting of reduce, my mother would not be alive or my mother would actually be, be, be able to be alive because I lost her at 23 years old to health disparities. I lost both of my grandmothers to health disparities. I lost my baby sister, my baby sister couldn't even live to 40 years old to health disparities because she was refused a mammogram that I'm confident would have saved her life. And I'm a two-time survivor, but I can, I can honestly tell you, I'm not only a survivor, I was put here for a purpose, right? To really be the ambassador, to be the evangelist for, for this mission that is so important. I don't want to drive a five-mile distance in, in the cities of Cleveland and you lose 15 years of your life just by going from one community to the next. Mm -hmm. That is unacceptable to me. And it should be unacceptable to everyone in the room. So that's what I'm aspiring to do. And we believe you will <laughs> get there. Now. Wow. So. We are about to begin with our audience Q&A. And for all of you who are listening online, or maybe you're in your car listening to the radio, let me tell you who I am. I am Danita Harris, news anchor and moderator for today's conversation. And we all have been enjoying uh, this wonderful woman, Dr. Erica Steed, the president and chief executive officer of Metro Health. She's been talking about her goals, the accomplishments, the challenges, and giving her unique perspective in her new role at one of Cleveland's top hospitals. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you who are joining us via live stream at cityclub.org or the radio broadcast that's going on right now at 89.7 WKSU Ideastream Public Media. So if you'd like to text a question for Dr. Steed, you can do so. Just text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And City Club staff will try to work it into today's program but right now, I know you are ready, so let's get the first question, please. Thank you. We have a text question. Metro Health has a long focus on reducing health disparities through innovative primary care partnerships, like its school health program or partnership with legal aid. What other new or innovative community partnerships in primary care are you considering? 
I think that that is a, a great question. Um, so we're looking to reach all corners of our county and even beyond uh, to expand access. Um, the recently, um, in, in, in soon to launch, we have a wonderful partnership with, with the Cleveland Food Bank where we actually co-locate healthcare services and access, but where is also a one-stop shop to be able to have access to all, all various uh, aspects to address those social drivers of health. So if, if there's a need on transportation gaps, if there's a need to be connected into housing partnerships, if there's a need to really address the food disparities and food, and, and, uh, food deserts, that's why the, the Cleveland Food Bank was a great partner for that process. Recently, we, we um, announced a partnership um, with Cleveland State University to really ex continue to expand access to not only our students, but our faculty and, and, and those that are really educating in, in vast amount in, in the community. So we're soon to, we actually launched our, our first clinic of its kind that is, is soon to blossom into other possibilities, but that's another creative partnership. Um, we are e extremely good at getting bold and relentless on really addressing the uh, mental health crisis and addiction issues that are uh, unfortunately impacting every corner of, of our communities at large. Um, so with this being said, we recently announced a, a, a very special partnership with the Adams Board, the county, and St. Vincent's Charity um, to really offer a one-stop shop, and I use that word a lot, um, is, is, it kind of serves as an air traffic control uh, for us to crisis stabilize those who are suffering from mental illness and, and addiction issues, and allows us the opportunity to really decant and decompress our overwhelmed emergency departments, which quite frankly is not the best location for those that are suffering in need from mental health issues, or quite frankly, our jails are overpopulated, are overpopulated. Um, 65 to 70% of those behind, behind bars right now are unfortunately suffering from this very pandemic, suffering from this pandemic. So through creative and innovative partnerships like this, uh, and more. I, I honestly, I can take up the rest of the hour really talking about partnerships, but there is not a partnership that's off the table if it really solves for this 80% problem that is standing in our way. So the 80% problem is all of those social drivers of health. And then we're going to have to get narrow and start really focusing on those issues like the, the mental health and addiction issues, the maternity an infant mortality crisis, my gosh. The way those statistics are showing up right now, and again, it, this is very near and dear to my heart because fortunately I'm a survivor, but I, I, I knocked on death's door on the maternity crisis that is out there. So we are willing to partner with an umbrella of stakeholders and, and constituents, but I, but I really believe that the true power of partnership is us really creating a coalition and us moving away from separate areas of focus and let's all galvanize together around a shared agenda that we can make meaningful change happen. So um, 
there is not one partnership that we're, that we're gonna say no to. Um, so uh, the doors of, like you say, the doors of the church are wide open. <laughs> the doors are wide open for possibility as it relates to that. Next question. Hi, um, I'm a senior in high school and I and a lot of my peers are really motivated to create change and are angry and passionate about the inequalities we're seeing in health and otherwise, but don't know how to start making change and feel like what you were talking about before, being muted mm -hmm. um, and not having the ability to reach the point where they're in a position um, of power to really change things, or previous to that, uh, doing things now while we're still young, um, and how, what would your recommendation be to me and my peers who want to create this change but don't know how? Well. So, so didn't I say that our children are our future? Yeah. And I wish I was blessed with a voice, or else I would sing a Whitney Houston song on that. I believe yeah. the children are the future. There you go, I got you. I got you. I got you. But I really believe that you, you took the first step right there. It, number one, it took a lot of courage to get up here. And, um, what I learned from those four young students that were on stage with me yesterday at, at Metro Health, really unpacking health equity, what I learned is, my gosh, we are keeping our future in a bubble. We're so focused right now on protecting, protecting our future that we're, that we're not recognizing that we're standing in the way of that future. Yeah. So I think that the first things first is we need to inform everyone to get on board with this. The reality is the reality is the reality is the reality. We're not going to be able to paint with a colored brush away from the fact that we have plaguing statistics out there that need to be eradicated. So it starts with us planting those seeds early, and information is power. Once you're informed, you can actually make meaningful change with that information. So I think that the first things first is, I think every school across this country needs to start educating our students and taking the, the students out of this bubble. We need to pop the bubble because the bubble is holding us back. And I, I think that that is a major, 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 major barrier. Um, I think we need to teach and, and empower and inspire um, our young people to find that voice. And that voice, you just heard it. Um, those young people have the answers, quite frankly. Our young people are suffering too from the same ailments, the same conditions, the same situations. And unfortunately, our young people are being born into generational oppression. They're being born with chains on that they can't even see. They're being born into a situation where they are building up adverse childhood experiences and, and adverse uh, situations that makes them believe in their mind that they can't escape it. So I think that 
our children is where we need to focus. I think, I think it's far too late when we start reacting uphill. It's far too late when we have oversaturated emergency departments that are being abused as primary care. It's far too late when we have 65 to 70% of those behind bars with untreated mental illness, and then we're recycling them back into the community, broken. It starts uphill. It starts prenatal. We need to start breaking those chains before the, our children are born. So I can honestly encourage that young lady that was up there, you already have your voice. You already have it. Command your seat at the table. And if, you, if, you, if you're not empowered to bring your own folding chair as Shirley Chisholm, one of my idols and mentors, she doesn't even know she's a mentor of mine, but she's a mentor of mine. Um, bring your own folding chair. And then you'll find out that that voice that you just used, my gosh, that is powerful. And it's filled with answers, and it's filled with possibilities, and it's filled with hope. We're just not using it. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I wish our legislators could have heard what you just said. Uh, the <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, our our gov uh, House Bill 68 was uh, vetoed by our governor. It, it dealt with uh, outlawing gender-affirming care for our trans uh, members of this state. Um, our legislature chose to override that veto, um, which means that our trans young people and adults will not get the, the gender-affirming care that they need. So my question to you, could you please talk about the importance of gender-affirming care for people in this audience who may not know? Yeah. Um, so the one thing I can honestly tell you, we were so proud of, of the governor and his stance. Um, as it relates to this. And, and I can honestly tell you we're, st we're still fighting. Um, Metro Health has, has widened its, its, its doors and has not pushed back on anyone. And we don't, we don't judge anyone um, regardless of who you are, who you love, what choices you, you, you make, how you show up, what you look like, et cetera. And we've always been dedicated and invested in, in great causes. The Health and Human Service Levy is going to be on the ballot this spring. And I was wondering if you could talk about the impact of the Health and Human Service Levy on Metro Health and your ability to convey services to the community. But the second part of that question is in a larger sense. Prices are going up for, it seems, everything. And I'm wondering, as the leader of an institution, how have rising prices impacted Metro Health's ability to address some of the very things that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, uh, two very important questions. Um, number one, I, I just want to apl applaud our true partnership with, with the county and, and the supports that we have to continue our mission. And our mission is, is absolutely formidable. Our mission um, allows us not to turn our backs on our, our communities in, in need. And we're always proactive in, in, in doing so. We do not turn down anyone regardless of their means, regardless of their ability to pay, regardless of who they are, all of those various things. Um, 
But at the same time, at the same time is, is, is extremely challenged uh, to have a, a, a mission that worthy, right? Because we're in a business too, and no margin, no mission. It's, it's very difficult to, to, to really fund our future in, in that respect. So this is where I, I really applaud uh, the county for recognizing us and, and who we are, what we are, and what we do. Um, and in fact, we, we, we got a vote of confidence from the county to where we're increasing our level of investment to continue the great work that we're doing. Um, so for well close to 200 years, we've been doing this. Um, I can tell you for, for years on end, and, and last year included, we spent greater than $200 million of, of our overall uh, service proposition in, in what we consider to be free care because we, we truly care about our community. And we're not going to turn you away. We won't turn you away. But that $200 million doesn't even account for the Lincoln West uh, High School. And again, as Danita pointed out, the only US high school inside of a hospital. But we believe in this mission, so we're going to continue to push through. The Institute for Hope Square, which is determined to save lives, that's not including that $200 million. But we know it's the right thing to do to really address those social drivers of health, to keep our communities well and out of the hospital. So that is what the, the HHS levy dollars is, is going in, in support of, so we can continue to rise, and we can continue to be that eagle, and we can continue to be resilient through whatever headwinds we're, we're faced with. And I can honestly tell you that um, as, as a nurse by training, I, I, I've never seen this level of workforce crisis that I would argue is a pandemic in and of itself. Uh, I've never seen this level of workforce crisis and labor shortage, that, which really speaks to the rising costs. Um, so as we rebounded from the other side of, of the COVID pandemic, um, the healthcare systems across the country, every single health system across the country, no matter if you have uh, uh, deep, very deep pockets and deep supports, every single health system has been challenged on the other side of the pandemic because we're all trying to reimagine ourselves and we're all trying to, get, to catch our breath and really find that balance. And quite frankly, we've been shaken and we've been fatigued and we've been burnt out on the wake of really surviving that significant worldwide pandemic. But to really just speak to the financials for just a moment, um, again, we're all trying to reimagine ourselves uh, reimbursement has dwindled, and it is, it's been going in this direction for well over a decade, well before the pandemic hit us. Um, so reimbursement continues to dwindle. Um, inflation has soared uh, to an uncatchable rate. Um, and on top of that, because of this labor shortfall and workforce crisis, pandemic, uh, or whatever the buzzword that you want to call it, um, it is, it is caused, especially organizations like, like ours that has a, a very distinct mission, um, three to four times that on expenses, just in, in labor alone, that's, that's what it requires. And sometimes, even, even during the wake of the pandemic, we're paying five times that 
of traditional labor just to survive. And I can honestly tell you, we haven't caught up from that. Um, what, what in, in part and parcel of the journey, uh, when, I, when I came into the organization in, in, at the latter part of 2022 and coming into 2023, um, and I, I'm a bit of a stickler. I learned I'm a stickler, by the way, in my, in my journey. Um, I've never seen such a, such a, 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 a most a challenging financial circumstance. I, I walked into a situation where I was handed uh, the most devastating financial circumstances, yet inflation, yet dwindling reimbursement, and a billion-dollar investment in our, in our organization, which was needed for the community that we needed to pay back, and we had to juggle all of those things. Um, so as an organization, we, and I'll use the word we, not I, uh, really needed to buckle down and really look at this differently, right? Because again, going back to that people-first culture, without our people, we don't exist. Without our people, we can't deliver on that mission. So that is at the center focus of everything that we're doing. But then we had to figure everything else out. Um, part and parcel, the, the first thing that we did was try to figure out a way to demonstrate to the pe very people that are holding us up on a, on a shoestring how to invest back in those people to demonstrate that we care on top of those financial challenges. And, and guess what? When you invest in your people, they show up at the end of the day. So what I walked into first quarter of 2023, financially uh, desperate circumstances, we sprinted a marathon all the way until the end of the year. By the time we, we absolutely showed up and, and uh, we demonstrated that we can, we can combat the storm and really address those financial challenges if we work together as a team and if we show up as showing value to the very people that are, are, are st uh, standing on our shoulders. So that is, is in part how we're addressing that. But I can honestly tell you that this is a journey. Um, and this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, this is a challenge that we're always going to have to juggle, especially super safety net organizations like uh, Metro Health that never closes our doors and never shuts anyone away. But the balance and partnership with wonderful partners like the county, that is, that is what, what counts at the end of the day. We want to thank all of you for your questions and your comments. Thank you, Dr. Steve, for joining us at the City Club today. Give it up for Dr. Steve. She was amazing. Wow. Wow. Standing ovation. Yes, 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 yes. And we want to say that today's forum is part of the City Club's Health Innovation Series in partnership with Medical Mutual. We would also like to give a shout out to the students from Laurel School, woo, Lincoln West High School, and MC Squared STEM High School. We also want to welcome guests at the tables hosted by Birthing Beautiful Communities, the Center for Community Solutions, Cleveland Metro Parks, Cuyahoga Community College, the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland, Macaulay and Company, Medical Mutual, Metro Health Foundation, PNC, and the YMCA of Greater Cleveland. Now, I've got the scoop. Coming up next at the City Club on Wednesday, February 14th, 
welcome Felton Thomas, CEO of Cleveland Public Library. And he's going to talk about whether or not libraries can or even should be everything to everyone. But this is hot off the press, breaking news. Thursday, February 15th, the City Club is going to host a breakfast forum with West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin as part of his nationwide listening tour. And then on Friday, February 16th, we're going to hear from Stephen Dettelbach, director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives on the Bureau's efforts to combat gun violence. And you're going to find out about all these forums and a lot more. Purchase your tickets at cityclub.org. And that is the end. I get to do this. I'm looking forward to this. I'm Danita Harris. The forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.